0: There's a special map of the United States, and all over it are purple, blue, green, red, and yellow pins. It looks like America has this peculiar case of hives. The map is called the K-12 Cyber Incident Map, and it tracks things like hacking and data breaches affecting schools. It is maintained by the K-12 Security Information Exchange, or K-12-6. It's an organization launched in 2020 that helps improve schools' cybersecurity. The number of the pins on the map are continually increasing. A purple pin is a breach involving personal data. A blue pin marks a successful phishing attack. Green pins are denial of service attacks. Red pins are a kind of catch-all for all other cyber incidents. And lastly, the yellow pins. Those are ransomware attacks. k 126 adds to the map based on public reports of incidents. But what's on the map is just what's surfaced publicly, and it is by far an underestimate. It's maintained by Doug Levin, who is K126's co founder and national director.
1: From, you know, I, I'm mostly tracking English speaking media, but I've certainly seen incidents happening pretty regularly in the UK and Canada, occasionally pick up stories uh, in Australia and in India. There's no reason for me to believe this isn't happening across Europe and South America uh, and even in Africa as well.
0: If there are two industry verticals where launching a ransomware attack isn't even close to a fair fight, it's those against schools and hospitals. Schools deliver education. Hospitals deliver medical care. Both are essential services that, especially after the last two years of the COVID-19 pandemic, do not need any more interruption. And it's not just that ransomware gangs encrypt a school's data. At times, they've also stolen personal data of students, and as a school district is feeling the pinch, they've released that personal data. According to the security firm Emsisoft, ransomware gangs have published data from more than 1,200 K-12 schools in the U.S. One of those yellow pins on the map represents Rockford Public School District 205 in Rockford, Illinois. It's a city of 150,000 people northwest of Chicago. It was once known as the fastener capital of the world due to its prodigious production of screws and bolts. The school district encompasses more than 40 schools and 27,000 students. In September 2019, it was infected with ransomware. Jason Barthel is chief information officer for the school district.
2: And the the very first discussion we had was, uh, can we have school the next day? Uh, We didn't know whether or not that was going to be feasible, especially because many of our systems, including our transportation system and our bus routing system, was all uh, impacted by this.
0: What happened to the Rockford School District is emblematic of what school districts face fighting off ransomware gangs. And there's even a new concept, the Cyber Snow Day, where cyber incident means school is canceled. Snow days are generally rare events reserved for bad winter weather. But even for companies with large security teams, it is difficult to seal off every vector of attack. For school districts, the challenges and obstacles are numerous. The ratio of IT staff to number of devices and systems is huge compared to other industries. And IT staff count security as one of their jobs, not their only job. This is The Ransomware Files. I'm Jeremy Kirk. In this podcast miniseries, I'm speaking with those who've navigated their way through a ransomware incident and learn how they fought back and what tips they can pass on to others. No ransomware infection is ever welcomed, but there's invaluable knowledge gained. There should be no shame in getting infected, but it's important to share the lessons. Jason Barthel is a native Illinoisan. He grew up not far from where he works now, just west of Rockford, in a rural area near Baileyville, Illinois. His mother raised him, as well as four of his brothers, in a house on the grounds of a produce farm called Ivan's Farm. The farm grew just about everything corn, potatoes, melons, strawberries, tomatoes, and more. They'd load up the produce and take it to a stand where people would stop by and pick up whatever was in season.
2: Uh, I was uh, a lower income kid growing up, uh, just a single family. I, was, I think I was working 40 hours a week before many were uh, out of elementary school at my same age. On a farm, produce farm.
0: He enlisted in the U.S. Army. When you serve in the Army, you get what's called an MOS or a military occupational specialty, which is a long way of saying a job. His MOS was 25 uniform, which in U.S. Army speak is signal support system specialist. He served in Iraq, but his trajectory shifted after what happened on May 19, 2006. On that day, Jason humbly describes it as getting a bit banged up while he was driving a Humvee. It was a traumatic brain injury, or TBI.
2: We we went out. Uh, we were a three Humvee convoy. We drove through an Iraqi police checkpoint, and uh, I was the third of three vehicles. And I had two. I uh, basically it was two daisy chained uh, one five five uh, artillery shell rounds that were daisy chained together that blew up on my door. So. Um, and I was the driver at that time. So I was unconscious. I don't remember anything, but I do have all the pictures. Um, and then we end up uh, rolling uh, off the bank too. And I rolled the vehicle over off the, by the, just on the bank of the Tigris River there. So, uh, had a little, have a little bit of TBI. I've I got all my fingers and toes. The Lord was good to me. Uh, and I'm still highly functional, but, uh, at the time my wife was eight months pregnant with our second child. Oh, uh, so it was, it was pretty stressful for her.
0: Amazingly, even after that, he went back to Iraq and finished his tour. As they say in the U.S. Army, <laughs> So, HUA requires some explanation. One U.S. general describes the meaning of the word HUA as representing sheer determination and perseverance. People in the U.S. Army say it all the time. It can mean affirmation, a battle cry, or an expression of esprit de corps. Jason's return to Iraq after his injury certainly exemplifies HUA. But it was clearly time for him to leave the army. He was eligible for tens of thousands of dollars in education funds. He got his associate's degree, then his bachelor's degree, and then two master's degrees. As he was working on his education, he was also working his way through various IT positions in Winnebago County in Illinois. He was eventually hired by Rockford Public Schools in 2018. When he arrived there, he immediately noticed something was amiss with its IT security.
2: And I remember pulling up in the parking lot first day, and I'm always... Picking around, and see what I can find, see what I can get into, and I was able to use my personal computer uh, to connect to the guest wireless, and I had uh, quick access to the cameras via their RTS, RTSP streams uh, through the guest wireless. Which and then that that right away said we've got a little work to do,
0: and intruders were not far behind. In July 2019, the district experienced a minor ransomware attack. Jason says there was just minimal damage from that one, but he believes the same threat actors became involved in a much bigger attack against the district two months later. That ransomware attack started around 10 p.m. on September 5th, 2019. Now, this is the point in the podcast where I usually say, walk me through the day of the attack, but somebody else is going to do that for me. And he actually did this about two and a half years ago. Earl Dotson Jr. is the chief communications officer for Rockford Public Schools. He also runs the district's monthly podcast, which is called 205 Vibe. Earl did an almost hour-long podcast episode interviewing Jason just a couple of months after the attack, which is really extraordinary. Most organizations do not want to talk about their ransomware attacks at all. What Rockford and Earl did with the podcast was extraordinarily transparent and frank. And here's an excerpt.
3: Welcome to the 205 Vi podcast. I'm your host, Earl Dotson, Jr., Thursday, September fifth, two thousand and nineteen, um, the Rock Public Schools was hit uh, with a ransomware attack, and um, it's uh, it's been it's been uh, a challenge um, for lots of people and all involved. And the person who's been behind the scenes and leading the charge on our efforts to get all of our systems back up and running has been none other. Than Mr. Jason Barthel, who uh, leads our Information Technology Department. And uh, he is here with us. Jason, how you doing, man?
2: Very good. Uh, good. Thanks for having me, Earl. I'm uh, excited to tell our story a little bit and some of the work we've been
0: putting in. As you can hear, Earl has a golden baritone voice that was just made for radio podcasting. And here is Earl asking Jason about the day the ransomware struck.
3: So Jason, uh, that, that, that day, that, that, that day in September, early September, where where were you? Where were you when on this this day of infamy? When when uh, you first you know caught wind of something was wrong here? It's at the a boy, the I, I remember
2: it very well. Um, I, it was actually the the night of the first Bears game. Uh, and the Bears were playing not so well. That was the first game of the season that they lost. So I was already, the, the game was just started wrapping up. Uh, and I was already a little aggravated because of that. So uh, I was starting to get a few text messages on my phone because we've got a monitoring system on our uh, for the district to know uh, certain things. So we were seeing some servers uh, in the district. They were showing that they were rebooting or shutting down. And sometimes it happens at night if there's maintenance going on or if we're applying updates it's, that'll com- commonly happen. Um, but we saw it, uh, I saw it pick up pace a little bit faster where we're seeing 40, 50, 60 servers just go down offline. Um, uh, so we monitored, and typically we'll look at it for, you know, five, 10 minutes because sometimes we'll get an all clear report if they decide to reboot, but we weren't seeing that. Uh, so I also remember at that point, I was going to quick uh, run upstairs and notice that uh, I got a little uh, King Charles. Uh, 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 dog uh, last uh, about a year now, a year ago now uh, for the for the kids and it decided to uh, to wet on my bed so that also <laughs> added my aggravation uh, and still going through that uh, uh, that potty training phase a little sure, bit but sure. uh, so I already uh, had some things going on so I decided to remote in uh, from uh, my laptop at home uh, which was a district issued laptop and and log in to see what was going on and try to restart some of those servers and we were noticing they were not restarting. Uh, and then uh I eventually got kicked off uh, where I couldn't even remote in it kicked my it kicked my VPN off so I had to drive into the office and that was I probably got it and that was, all this was going down probably 10 10:30 at night uh, and I got into the office and was able to uh, look and see we had many of the servers with a a, a an extension uh, uh, so as an example what I mean by extension is like if I have a PDF file for Adobe Acrobat reader it's File name.pdf. Well, this had a specific extension at the end that would indicate uh, that it was an encrypted file. So that's why the servers weren't, weren't restarting because uh, they had been encrypted. And uh, so once we figured that out, we immediately went and un, uh, literally disconnected uh, uh, ourselves from the internet to stop the the proliferation of the day of the of the uh, encryption that was happening. And then started to assess the situation at that point. I think uh, I remember uh, very vividly uh, getting in here probably all, all about 11:30 or so at night. And uh, uh, I was here for about 38 hours straight uh, with our team going through and understanding the sheer, uh, you know, really what happened and, and analyzing, you know, where are we at? What do we have? Uh, you know, how can we recover? And some of the things we were looking at very closely were our core business systems. We were fortunate because we had just gotten paid, uh, so the paychecks had gotten out. So we knew we had between uh, really that Friday morning until uh, uh, really just a few days to, just to get Business Plus back online so people could get paid for the next go-round, which finance was outstanding. Uh, we, we were able to accommodate that and also uh, get uh, eSchool and the student information system at least uh, to a point where it was functional to do attendance and things like that.
0: The district used Microsoft's Hyper-V as its virtualization platform, and most hosts appear to be encrypted. The extension on the encrypted files indicated it was the Ryuk ransomware. Ryuk appeared in 2018 and is the product of a suspected Russian cyber criminal group called Wizard Spider. The group's Ryuk ransomware had a massive run for about two years, but now it's faded. But the group behind it is still around, and experts believe it is responsible for another prolific type of ransomware called Conti. The effects of the ransomware on the district were devastating. Upwards of 300 servers were encrypted. Several weeks of its backups were also encrypted. Some 5,000 window machines were infected, which means they all needed to be re-imaged. The district had no phones. It had no email. Its bus routing system was affected. All up, more than 10 terabytes of data, which comprised 4 to 6 million files, were locked up. And Jason says all of this happened right after the school year just started. A few days prior, you know, we took a
2: step back in time, is the way I say it uh, and describe it to a lot of people. We went back to you know pen and paper and uh, using uh, the you know, at the time just the, the whiteboard. I, I think uh, we always say this, but uh, you know, the silver lining of it is, I, I you know, you, and, and taking that step back in time, if you will, was the, I think the relationship. Building and the communication, uh, the level of communication we had being away from the, the you know the digital um, world and in the screens. Uh, I mean, when you look at the silver lining of it all, not that I would, would I ever be there again, but we we kind of we kind of you know, worked in that way in a manual fashion.
0: There were also decisions and challenges in how to communicate the district's paralysis to parents, the public, and the news media. Kathy Bayer works with Earl and is senior communications manager with Rockford Public Schools. Here, she explains how they decided to transition from calling what happened as just a tech outage to a ransomware attack.
4: Thank you. I don't. I don't have a great, beautiful radio voice like Earl does. Yes, but she does. Anyway, um, no. I. I remember. Um, yeah, school had started, and then everything just went out. It was. It was. It was bells, internet, email literally everything phones. Um, and I remember just calling it a tech outage and it was the end of the week. And I remember over the weekend having the conversation, like some people online were asking if it was ransomware because we just kept saying tech outage, bear with us. We'll provide more information when we can. And then I remember having the conversation with Earl about like, once we know it's ransomware and people were already suggesting that we got to just call it what it is. Right. And, uh, we were kind of, were we re-watching Game of Thrones at the time? And I was like, remember, did you watch Game of Thrones? Like, remember the scene with Lord Varys and Tyrion talking about how many people know this great big secret, right? Well, eight people. Okay. And Varys says, well, once eight people know, it's no longer a secret. It's information. So at that point, we were thinking, well, people in IT knows. All of Cabinet knows. We're talking about communication plans like... Sooner or later, hundreds and then thousands of people are going to know. We need to just call it what it is. Um, Working in communications, I say a lot, people can handle anything. They can handle any sort of information if you tell them, right? Be upfront, be open, be honest. You have to tell them what it is. Um, So we called it ransomware.
0: Kathy says Facebook and Twitter updates kept families updated on the district's recovery. For the first month, the district would send out messages in the morning and evening updating everyone on the progress. She says that people were understanding once it was communicated that it was a ransomware attack. Also, Earl's podcast, videos, and other types of outreach helped the district keep control of its own story.
4: Yeah, I I think that's part of our... What we're trying to do as a communications team is tell our own story, right? Instead of depending on local media to here's a press release and we hope that you'll tell this story exactly the way that we want you to tell it, um, you know, and hope that there's no other breaking news to interrupt your newscast or, or anything like that or your plans for the day. Just it's just it, it's a way to kind of reclaim our story and tell it ourselves because who knows better what's going on in our district than our own staff, our families, our students.
0: Earl says in times of crisis such as a ransomware attack, it's important for schools to keep in mind of ways to communicate if the regular systems don't work anymore.
3: We kind of thought about communications. I just think it's important to have a multitude of various ways and various communication tools um to communicate. Um the team's heard me talk about maintaining the integrity of our communication tools. Um because you never know when you might need those channels for whatever. And we're very fortunate here, particularly in our communications department. Uh we have not only just a good team of people, but um we have a, a variety of 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 tools that we that we can use um in the event that we have to kind of pivot to you to, to communicate using a different platform.
0: Earl says that one bit of information that the district didn't release was the amount of the ransom. He says that there was a palpable anger about the attack and the fact that cyber criminals had disrupted an entire school district. That factored into the decision on whether to pay.
3: Hopefully this is okay for the podcast, but we were like, screw them, like, we're, <laughs> not, we're not giving them nothing. Like, you know what, we were defiant, we were like, how dare you do this to children. You know, p- people who are in, who are in our educational system who are trying to learn. So yeah, we just at one point it it is a shock <clears throat> shock to the system, and you don't know what to do. But then you just you you know how that goes. Those go through those phases, and I think then we just got angry. Like, nah, we ain't doing it.
0: One of the first phone calls Jason made was to the FBI. The FBI has been encouraging ransomware victims to notify it, but many just don't want to do that. Some fear that calling the FBI adds a layer of complication to an already stressful situation. But the FBI says it is crucial to have victims reach out for successful investigations. Jason knew the FBI wouldn't help with recovery, but he thought it might help if there was a chance to get compensation down the line. And one of the next early phone calls was to the district's insurance company. The district carried cyber insurance. The insurer's attorney assigned an incident response company called Crypsis, which is now part of Palo Alto Networks.
2: Uh, We ended up getting assigned a company called Crypsis, which which was fantastic, uh, and walking us through it. Uh, obviously, the downfall with that is we can't move as quickly in recovery as we would like because there are certain steps that they want us to take to find, uh, you know, that uh, uh, that uh, source of uh, of entry and yes. who, was yes. the, who was the was the where did the threat come in at and, and where did it originate into our network so that did add a lot of time to it, they flew out uh, uh, two individuals to help pull drives, image drives, and walk through that. And it was a very strategic move uh, on when we could, okay, we're done with this. You can go ahead and start recovering uh, or recover that server or that server. Uh, And it took a lot of time.
0: The source of the infection was traced to a phishing email that was sent to a district employee. Windows Defender missed the malicious actions that occurred after that. But the forensic investigators discovered that the district had lots of signs of intrusions even prior to that person clicking on the phishing email. They also found that perhaps even more than one threat actor had been inside the district's systems. It's not uncommon for multiple groups of hackers to find the same vulnerable systems. The incident response firm found a toolkit known as Empire, which is often used by attackers. Empire is what's called a post exploitation toolkit or a set of tools that are useful for attackers after they've already compromised a system. Empire can be used to move around on systems and deploy other useful tools such as Mimikatz, which gathers user credentials. Jason says the investigators also found the TrickBot malware. TrickBot is a pervasive type of banking malware that's also frequently a precursor infection to a ransomware deployment. One make-or-break aspect of a ransomware attack is the status of an organization's Active Directory. It's the almighty Windows software that's used to authenticate users on the network and set policies that govern user access to resources. The forensic team found evidence that the attackers had definitely been snooping around in Active Directory. Jason says there were many erroneous accounts that had been set up and other signs of tampering. The district ran several Active Directory servers, and for some reason, one of them didn't sync with the others as the ransomware attack was occurring. That turned out to be fortunate since it was the one that provided the foundation for recovering that system, Jason says.
2: It took us a few days to do that, but we were able to Uh, pull our domain uh, back up with uh, a a pretty high degree of integrity.
0: Despite the vast damage Ryu had wrought across the district, Jason says paying a ransom wasn't on the cards. That was due to both Jason's opposition to paying cyber criminals money and also the fact that the district could continue to make payroll.
2: The very first question that came out from our CFO, can we get people paid? Uh, And that was, I think, really the determining factor. Uh, You know, my, just from, Pure principle, and I had been through an incident uh, a number of years back for a small municipal police department that had experienced a ransomware where they actually paid. They had no backups, they had nothing, um, and we were we were a service provider for them at that point. But uh, you know, by principle, I did not want to pay the ransom because I knew what that it meant. A lot of things. One, we don't know who we're paying. Are we breaking any rules? Are we paying nation states? Uh, and we just don't know that, um, you know, plus not to mention, yes, it's, you know, the insurance company, if if the ransom is less than what the recovery is going to be, they'll tend to, to drive you that direction. At the same time, it's making the problem worse because we're funding this uh, nefarious organization that is going to take those funds to get better and do this more. So, you know, by principle, you know, when we sat down, and I did say yes, we can get payroll up and running. We were very fortunate at this point because we had just finished uh, payroll uh, that previous Friday, so we had a couple weeks to work with before we had to get things up and running for payroll. Um, and once we determined that, we said we, you know, and we continued to assess. You know, we very quickly determined that no, we're not going to pay this ransom.
0: The district's backups had been affected, and some had either been encrypted or had been deleted. The attackers deleted about two weeks' worth of a type of Windows backup called shadow copies. Early versions of the Ryuk ransomware would use an interesting technique to meddle with shadow copies. By resizing the storage for shadow copies, the backups would sometimes just disappear. Ryuk was also known to use the vssadmin.exe command, which is used to manage shadow copies, and then just simply delete them. But the district's older shadow copies were okay. That was fortunate because many of the district staff were in a panic about the so-called H-drives. Now, the H-drives were local file shares, sort of like the My Documents folder in Windows. Staff just put all their files there, years and years of files, like maybe up to 15 years for some staff.
2: Early on in the process, we did not know if those would be recoverable, and that's years and years and years. We got through probably two and a half three days and we found a snapshot of those uh, uh of the of that of those file structures and those directories and uh, because we use what's called the dfs share for those and we were able to recover those so i think as we kind of navigated through just such a a disaster and a nightmare that really kind of pepped everybody up on the it team and that was a, a real big win early for us to be able to pull all that back.
0: The district also used backup software from Veeam and HP's Nimble storage, which, as it sounds like, is a storage product. Nimble retains snapshots, which Jason says came in handy for its Enterprise Resource Planning, or ERP, data.
2: Really what our saving grace was while we had some backups that were encrypted, we found some snapshots of servers on the Nimble Uh, sand that we had that weren't touched. And we were doing snapshots of our financial uh, platform, our ERP there, very, very frequently, uh, a couple times a day. So we had the database, but we didn't have the application.
0: The district used an ERP application called Business Plus for its finances. It's developed by a company called PowerSchool. Jason says PowerSchool lent a helpful hand by taking the database and hosting it in the cloud. It took about four days to upload the database due to its size, but the financial system was up and running shortly thereafter. Managing the recovery took some careful decisions and planning. At the time, Jason just had a staff of 42 people, but only four people actually worked on servers and network administration. Another three or four worked on information systems and services, which covered things like databases. Overall, it was a pretty small staff, but they took it step by step. They didn't really have an incident response plan at the time and hadn't practiced what it might take to recover. But they formed an incident command comprised of cabinet-level teams, department heads, and the district superintendent. They met every two hours for the first several days after the attack to make key decisions on what were the most important systems to prioritize for recovery. After payroll, second on the list was the student information system. And then after that, Wi-Fi, which would allow the Chromebooks that were not infected to get back online. But even two months on from the initial attack, when Jason spoke to Earl for his podcast... The district was still in the thick of recovery and those sought after h-drives hadn't been restored yet it was tough long work but as they say in the army hooah
2: i will say morale it was tough Um, i think uh encouragement constant encouragement with the team uh letting them know that we're going to get through this you know providing that leadership and um and, and i think helped a lot and then again like I said, making sure you're feeding them and keeping them going, and then giving the, the, giving them that downtime uh, when 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 we could through the process was helpful, but it, it was definitely a, a rough time. It was it was kind of a you know a rock bottom feeling for the district, but it was certainly a turning point for us as well.
0: The disruption to schools from a cybersecurity incident such as ransomware can be multifold. And Doug Levin of K-12-6 says early 2021 appeared to be a high watermark for just how disruptive these incidents were becoming to schools. The term Cyber Snow Day emerged in the last couple of years. And it was originally intended to mean that instead of getting the day off from school due to bad weather like in the old days, school would continue at home via online learning. But the term is also being applied to disruptions caused by cyber incidents. Here's Doug.
1: But what started happening at the beginning of last school year was that in having to respond to school cybersecurity incidents, schools had to cease operations. And even if they were in person, they sent students home. They couldn't route their buses. They couldn't operate the point of sale in the cafeteria. Their phone systems are IP-based, so they went down. A lot of the physical security systems in school districts are also IP-based, and so they weren't working door locks video camera systems, right? And so they couldn't guarantee the safety of students. Um, so much of the teaching and learning that happens is is taking advantage of devices in the internet, and they couldn't use those. So we have seen now in response to school cybersecurity incidents, schools having to close for days or weeks. And in the case where a school district uh, is trying to recover on their own from this incident, you know, these sorts of incidents, it can be months and months before they're fully operational again.
0: Doug says that the ransoms requested and those paid are also rising.
1: Um, we've certainly seen a spike in and a steady drumbeat of ransomware incidents. Yes, um, that have been affecting schools and those have been, you know, evolving as well. So now they routinely involve um, the exfiltration of data uh, where they did not before. You know, way back in 2015, 2016, way back. Uh, you know that was maybe a, a ransom demand it might be in the order of five or ten thousand dollars to be paid in cryptocurrency. It wouldn't be unusual for that figure to be, uh, you know, well over a million dollars. Now, um, you know, and, uh, rather publicly, school districts have been uh, reported to have paid ransoms in the hundreds of thousands of dollars, several hundred thousands of dollars. Anecdotally, I'm aware of instances where school districts or their insurance providers may have paid a million or two million or more to these threat actors. My goodness. Yeah, and of course, that is the opposite of a virtuous circle. Every time a school district does that, they're just encouraging others, uh, other threat actors, other ransomware groups to continue to target school districts. And there's still a handful of ransomware uh, gangs that, that routinely are targeting U.S. uh, school districts all across the country.
0: The U.S. has recognized the problem and is taking action. In October 2021, President Joe Biden signed into law the K-12 Cybersecurity Act, which marked the first efforts by the federal government to address the growing problem. The law requires the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency, known as CISA, to conduct a study of the cybersecurity risks facing schools. CISA will then create cybersecurity guidelines to counter those risks and also develop an online training toolkit for school officials. Now, schools aren't gonna be anywhere near the defensive level of, say, an investment bank anytime soon, but any improvement is a step forward. So as said before, the Ryuk ransomware isn't around anymore. But Ryuk recently popped up in the news in a curious legal action. In April 2022, Microsoft's Digital Crimes Unit announced that it had gone to federal court to get an order that allowed it to take control of domains associated with a botnet called ZLoader. A botnet is a network of computers that are infected with a specific type of malware and can be controlled remotely. Cyber criminals who run botnets use the networks for all sorts of nefarious purposes, from stealing data to using them as proxies for other cyber attacks. The court allowed Microsoft to take control of 65 domains that ZLoader's operators used to control the botnet. The court also gave Microsoft control over more than 300 other domains that its operators could potentially use to regain control over their botnet. Microsoft also named an alleged operator of ZLoader, a guy named Denis Malikov, who lives in Crimea, part of Ukraine that Russia unlawfully annexed in 2014. So, a little background on ZLoader. ZLoader is malware that was often spammed out to potential victims. Once it had infected a computer, it served as a foothold for malicious hackers to upload other harmful code onto the computer, including ransomware. It was also really capable malware in its own right, and it could steal authentication credentials, cookies from browsers, and interfere with online banking sessions loader’s lineage traces back to the infamous banking malware known as Zeus or ZBot, which emerged around 2006. The code for Zeus leaked in 2011, and it became the basis for malware that still circulates today. To strengthen its request to the court, Microsoft needed to show the harm that Zloader was causing. In the court documents, there's a declaration from Errol Weiss, who's now chief security officer for the Health Information Sharing and Analysis Center, or Health ISAC. Health ISAC helps healthcare organizations shore up their cybersecurity. Before that role, Errol was a security executive at the financial institution Citigroup, and before that, a penetration tester with the National Security Agency. He's given affidavits before for civil cases filed that were aimed at stopping the Zeus, Citadel, and Shylock botnets. With Z-Loader, Errol's declaration focused on the effects of Ryuk on the healthcare industry.
5: You know, for the actual victims of ransomware, the attacks can be devastating, as as we talked about. Um, you know, again, back in 2020 into 2021, rising cases of COVID-19 Hospitals are overcapacity, trying to treat seriously ill patients, and then now they're dealing with this ransomware attack that's happening, and then the consequences become even more dire. And then when you you look at a modern hospital, they rely on IT systems to, to run all aspects of that business, as you could imagine. So if you interrupt IT services, you're inevitably going to have a negative impact on patient care.
0: Errol's declaration to the court cited impacts that re had on patient care. In one example, a re infection forced ambulances to divert and caused a 90-minute delay in emergency care. Another infection disrupted the delivery of chemotherapy for cancer patients re infections forced other hospitals to cancel elective procedures. It delayed lab results and caused delays in appointments for maternity and oncology patients. The gang, or affiliates of the gang, also leaked sensitive patient data, including clinical data and diagnoses for hundreds of thousands of people. Errol says that making schools and healthcare institutions more resilient against ransomware isn't trivial.
5: You know, ultimately, properly securing enterprise networks It's incredibly complicated. It's challenging. And then of course it changes every single second. And when I was, again, back in the banking finance sector, looking at those large international banks, they literally had thousands of people in their information security programs protecting the bank. So a small army, right, needed to to, to, uh, provide effective protection. So it's extremely difficult to adequately protect any kind of enterprise network without proper investments. So the question I would ask as a listener, I would say, are you spending about 10% of your relative IT budget on security? And if you're not, it's probably not enough.
0: Jason says that the Rockford Public School District is now in a far better position than when he arrived in 2018. It's strengthened security controls in its Office 365 environment. Also, an effective cybersecurity awareness and anti-phishing program has dropped click-through rates on phishing emails from a very high 43% to well below 10%. And
2: I I will tell you, that was another one I took a little bit of flack from when we started doing uh, you know, phishing campaigns and things like that, that, you know, people weren't happy um, because, uh, you know, it, it added time to their day. You know, should I click on this email email that I got or not? So we're really strengthening um, our, our end users' uh, knowledge and awareness and knowing what to look for when they get a weird email coming in. Um, And looking at is it coming from outside the organization and it says it's from rps205.com.
0: The district is also following the National Institute of Standards and Technologies Cybersecurity Framework. That's a guide for organizations to help them reduce their overall risk. Jason says multi-factor authentication is in place, although that proved to be a hard sell. Its endpoints have been upgraded to endpoint detection and response software, which will hopefully detect intrusions quickly. The district has also set up a full disaster recovery site that's running a clone of its on-site network, including the storage area network, application, and databases. Always come
2: out better from these things than what you went into, um, and things you know you don't know what you don't know um and there's always a, you know we found a silver lining in this particular event uh whereas uh we were able to uh really expedite our security uh, process and you know we had a great a great board uh and a great uh administration that helped push this along and get us much more secure um and that uh you'll be okay um it's it's not always fun um but I think we are uh, battle-hardened now.
0: Earl Dawson Jr., who has the golden voice of podcasting, has kindly obliged my request to do the outro for this episode. So here he is.
3: This episode of The Ransomware Files was written, researched, edited, and produced by Jeremy Kirk. The production coordinator is Rashmi Ramesh. The Ransomware Files theme song is by Chris Gilbert of Ordinary Weirdos Music. If you enjoyed this episode of The Ransomware Files, please share it and leave a review. It will help keep this project going. The series has its own Twitter handle at Ransomware Files, which tweets news and happenings about Ransomware. And Jeremy is on Twitter at Jeremy underscore Kirk. If you would like to participate in this project or have an idea for it, please get in touch. The project is looking for other people, organizations, and companies that can share their unique experiences for the benefit of all until Ransomware, hopefully, becomes a thing of the past. For Rockford Public Schools, District 205, and the Ransomware Files, it's your man's Earl Dawson Jr.